Well, if you have been with us for a few weeks as we have studied Romans, you might remember that the Apostle Paul identified a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for the Jews. That Jesus Himself was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for the Jews. Well, I'm just going to say, you all are a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for me. Because the last time I was up here, I... I encouraged my grandson to come join me, and I got so many comments on that that it's all I can do not to invite a grandchild up here with me every time I speak. (laughs) I bring that up because one of the other things that I said then that nobody remembers (laughs) is that the posture of God as He invites His people. He says, I stretch out my hands to them all day long. One of the other things that I said that day was that that was the posture of the Father to His prodigal Son. And I want to remind you this morning of perhaps our favorite story of that, that Jesus made up. Namely, the prodigal son. That Jesus told us about a, a, a man who had two sons. And one day, his youngest son came and asked for his share of the inheritance. And the father gave it to him and he went off and he squandered it completely. So much so that he was destitute and he was begging and he got a job feeding the swine. Which for uh, a Jewish boy was as bad as it could be. And it says, one day he came to his senses and he said, my father's servants eat better than this. I'm going to go back to my dad. And so he got up and he left the pigs and he went back to his father. And we're told that the father was there and saw him a long way off and came running and embraced him. When the father did that, he He brought him home and he cleaned him up and he got him new clothes and he said, let's kill the fatted calf and let's have a party because my son who was lost is found. My son who was gone is now home. My son who was dead is now alive. And so, they threw this spectacular party for the prodigal son. And that's where most of us sort of finish the story. And we go, woohoo, isn't that great? And it is great. But the funny thing is, that's not where Jesus finishes the story. Because Jesus, I think, told that part of the story so that He might deliver the punchline of the story. The punchline of that story is that there were two sons. One was prodigal, went and squandered everything and came back. One lived within his father's house yet did not love his father. (laughs) Lived within his father's house, but did not have the same priorities as his father. Lived within the father's house, yet himself was distant from his father. And that son, the older son, the first son, heard the celebration And he started making his way back to the house and he said to the servants, why is there such a commotion here? 
The servant said, Your brother who is gone has come home. And your father's now throwing a celebration. And one might expect that brother to be pleased. Ah, finally. Just for the sake of my dad, right? My dad who loves my brother. And not myself, but for my dad. I'm glad he's back. Not even close. He said, what are you doing? Throwing a party for, for uh, you know, somebody like him. Somebody who squandered your uh, wealth on prostitutes. I've been here the whole time. And you haven't so much as uh, you know, cooked me a measly little goat. And the father again holds out his hands to the older brother. And says, all that you have is mine. And I think that Jesus told that story so that we might recognize ourselves maybe more in the older brother than in the younger brother. More in the self-righteous one than the broken one. Oh, I'm certain, I'm sure there's a place to recognize our own brokenness and return to God, but it's much harder to see self-righteousness. And I think Jesus wanted us to see that in the older brother. The reason that I bring that story up is because I think that is, you might say, the backdrop for what we have now in Romans chapter 11. We have the return of the Gentiles back to God and the jealousy of the Jews. We have the mission of God to go, to go reach the Gentiles in order to provoke to jealousy that older brother. And it's both of those things, really, that create this family of God. It's both of those things then that create uh, this... Uh, People of God that are so beautifully described in Romans 9, 10, and 11. So, uh, let's take a look at it, shall we? Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. Well, it starts with the question, what then? I just want to remind you that when you get a question like that, it really throws you back... To the previous verse, which says it's, it's by grace. People are included in the promise of God by grace, not by works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. If it's grace, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And so here, just to, I'm just going to kind of go a little more 
slowly through uh, this text, uh, hopefully to make sense of it and to set up what we're going to talk about uh, next week. But there are three groups here I want you to notice. There is Israel, there is the elect, and there is the rest who are hardened. And that's going to be helpful as you look at the rest of the text. The, uh, Israel, namely uh, the, the ethnic people, uh, Israel, failed to attain what they were seeking. They were seeking it in the wrong way. Uh, Romans chapter 10. They were, they were seeking it as though they were going to establish their own righteousness so that God would look at them and be so happy and so lucky to get them on His team. They failed to attain it because of that. However, He saved from there a remnant whom He calls the elect here. There are elect who were Gentiles. So we'll get to them in a moment. But the elect did obtain the promise. And the rest were hardened. And so that kind of sets the stage for what is going on here. When it says the rest were hardened, we need to think, what does that look like? What does that mean? Some of us have this vision of God up there real, as though He's very cross. And as though He's ready just to wag His finger and scold and send people away. This is what it means to be hardened. Look at what it says here. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So what is God doing? Is God somehow mysteriously, you know, um, manipulating their hearts? Is He somehow contriving? What He's doing is He's showing them. He's speaking to them. They're not seeing it. They're not hearing it. It is though they are semi-conscious, not receiving what He is doing reaching out to them. So that you could say, okay, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Their hardness toward God Himself gets ratified. Down to this very day. This is not... This is not an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. This is the way that it has been working all along. And so he quotes then uh, David. He quoted Moses and now he quotes David. Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. David there is speaking about his enemies. And Paul pulls that in and says, these people have declared themselves to be the enemies of God. So, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Let their backs be hardened toward the things of God forever. And so, that really is the way that these people are responding to the extension of the grace of God when they say no over and over and over down to this very day and they are hardened. And so if any, the people of God are hardened, if the people of God have resisted Him so far, what should we expect regarding them now? This is what he says. In fact, the conclusion he comes to is, did they stumble in order that they might fall? 
by no means. Rather, through the, their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, in speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And so the, the fact that they have rejected and are, are hardened and their eyes don't see brings the question, did they stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, has their stumbling on this rock of offense become permanent? Have they all so much resisted and rejected God that there will never be a recovery? That's his question. This is a corollary question to the one that we have seen already in Romans chapter 9. I think it's verse... Uh, six, has the Word of God failed? Or, chapter 9, verse 14, has the promise of God failed? Because it was to them that they had a promise. It was, it was to the descendants of Abraham that God promised that He would bless them and make them a blessing. And that by them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so have they so stumbled in order that they might fall and that promise is no good any longer? And you see, when it becomes a corollary of that question, it's a question all of us have to come to grips with. Namely, can we believe God when He makes promises? And so his question is this, did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means? That is not what's happening. Okay? Even if you thought that was what's happening, <laughs> even if it looked like when they rejected Him, it's what's happening. It's not what's happening. So what was happening? He says, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Not what we expected, but what God intended all along. After all, that promise to Abraham back in the beginning was in through you all nations of the world would be blessed. And so, the means to blessing all those nations was the stumbling or the trespass of Israel. Isn't that interesting? If, now, I'm just surmising here, God's intent was to include the nations. Thankfully, because that now it includes you. So God's intent was to include the nations all along. Had Israel not stumbled, had Israel not trespassed, what would have become of the Gentiles? I think they would have streamed in. I think they would have seen this people whose God was so great, so beautiful, so good, so powerful. They would have streamed in. Yet, 
They didn't. Israel didn't treat God that way. Their eyes were darkened. They were hardened. They resisted Him. They trespassed. So, a different way then, God got salvation to the Gentiles. We'll see that in just a moment. The corollary, the unexpected result of the Gospel going out to the Gentiles was that Israel was jealous. The unintended consequence of the younger brother returning was that the older brother was jealous. Here, the consequence, I think intended, of the Gentiles receiving salvation is that Israel becomes jealous. Wouldn't that be amazing if those of us who have uh, a Gentile heritage would so love and respect and honor and delight in God that it would make those who are ethnic Jews jealous. Have you ever thrown such a party? Have you ever enjoyed anything so much that somebody became jealous of you because you're so happy? I think that's the idea here. That's the idea of the songs that we've sung already. That's the idea of communion. That's the idea of what we're going to sing later. That God wants us to delight in Him in such a way that other people will say, you know, I've been looking, I've been looking to sex or to money, to material things, or to my family, or to whatever, and it doesn't satisfy me like God satisfies you. And they become jealous. And so he just builds on this idea again. If their trespass meant riches for the world and their failure meant riches for the Gentiles. And again, it's not every single individual in the world or every single Gentile, but as a category, the rest of the world outside of the Jews, namely the Gentiles, receive riches from God that they didn't deserve because Israel rejected those riches. How great is that? It gets even better though. And the better is how much more. Whenever you see, and back you can read Romans, it has a lot of this kind of language. How much more? The how much more language is meant to say, stop and think about just how great this would be. Right? How much more will their full inclusion mean? So if those Jews that rejected uh, the Messiah and God, what if they become jealous and repent and return? Wouldn't that be something? That's the question. And the answer, of course, is yes. That would be something. And then Paul stops for a moment and he says, okay, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, That is uh, what God called him to do. He went to the Jews first. They rejected him. This is Paul as a missionary. 
And so he in turn went then to the Gentiles and recognized his particular call from God as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he said, I'm I'm glad about that. I magnify my ministry. I want to make a lot of that. The reason I'm going after Gentiles is that somehow, I hope, unexpectedly, surprisingly, mysteriously, on some circuitous route, the Jews might become jealous and thus some of them might embrace the Messiah and return to God. That's his intent. It's not just forget you, I'm going to the Gentiles. It's I am sorry I have to go to the Gentiles. Because you see that, you see that posture, right? In Romans chapter 9, first part of Romans chapter 9, when, his, when he grieves and his heart is broken toward his fellow countrymen. And then he goes to the Gentiles in a hope that some of them will take note of how good the Gospel is and will respond. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And so he has this hope and this mental picture of the way that God is saving people and that He is going to the Gentiles and, and He is bringing the Gospel, the good news that the Jewish Messiah was crucified and rose again so that uh, sinners might be saved and sins might be forgiven and God might be their God and they might be His people. All of those new covenant promises, all of those Passover lamb promises we talked about even in communion, so that the world gets that. If that's what happens because of the rejection of Israel, what would it mean then if that happens and then they return themselves to God? That's what he's hoping. He's hoping... He's hoping to, again, provoke them and draw them back to God even by giving the good news to someone else. So I actually did think at this point, trying to involve my grandkids, but it just would be too risky. Because you've seen this, right? There's two children. One of them throws a tantrum. And maybe you give a piece of candy to the other child. All of a sudden, this child pays attention. Right? That's, that's what's happening here. He's saying, you don't want the good news? Fine, throw your tantrum. Here is good news. These people say, hey, this is great. All of a sudden, the tantrum stops. And they notice, I wonder, I wonder if I could get the good news or the piece of candy or whatever it is also. See, that I think is the dynamic he's trying to establish here. And so to further clarify what's going on. He, um, he creates an illustration. Sometimes it's the job of the preacher to produce the illustration. Sometimes the text itself produces the illustration. Here is his illustration of what he's talking about here. Okay? He says, So, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not 
It is not you who support the root, but the root who supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So, do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut out, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? So his picture, if you will, is of a tree that represents the people of God. If the dough is offered, or his first picture is dough, but it's just like a little mention. Okay? So I'm not going to spend much time there other than to say the first fruits generally represents the whole thing. Okay? So if the first fruits is holy, the lump is holy. But if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so he's, he's got this tree and the, the strength of the tree is in the root. The, the life or the quality of the tree is in the root. And if the root is good, so are the branches. I, I was just uh, working on my trees out of my yard and uh, with, with Taylor who grew up there, and we, have, we are missing three different trees, all of different varieties in my yard that just tipped over. That's all they did. They just tipped over. Because the root apparently got so rotten that the tree had a little bit of life and then the wind came and poof, the trees went over. And that, that happened at three different kinds of times to three different trees in my own yard for the purpose of this sermon. <laughs> because the, the holy root then makes the tree holy. The quality of the root. And so the, what he's suggesting is I think that this root has to do with the patriarchs and the promise of God to create a people of God that would be holy. Okay, now notice the characteristics then of this tree. Some of the branches were broken off. There were some that decided they didn't want to cling to what was going on. So they were lopped off. That happens in my yard too. And you, though, a wild olive shoot. So he's talking about the Gentiles. Because he's still speaking to the Gentiles here. Okay, If you go back, uh, what is it, to verse 14, I think. He says, I speak to the Gentiles. To the, you were a wild olive shoot. And you were grafted in among the others. So here's the picture. Okay? He's got this olive tree with such great roots in the patriarchs and the promise of God. And it's growing. And not all the branches were lopped off. 
there is a remnant, which we've seen already, right? Among the others. That's the others. There is a remnant that remain. And what God has done is that He has grafted from this wild olive tree Gentiles into the tree. So that now the tree has a remnant and it has some wild olive branches growing. What's the, what's the posture then? How do those who have received grace think about themselves and the grace they've received? Don't be arrogant. I mean, I, that just can't be said enough, can it? That we can't look and say, I am in because I'm so great. No, you're a wild olive tree. Nobody in their right mind, cuts a wild olive branch off and puts it on a cultivated olive tree and hopes to have anything better happen. That's not what um, tree farmers do. So don't be arrogant. Remember, you don't support the root. The root supports you. Then you'll say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. In other words, there was this rejection, this this hardening, these darkened eyes, so that the, the good news would be taken to Gentiles that I might believe and be grafted in. I recognized I wasn't in the first place. I was in the second place. And I'm still included. They were broken off because of their unbelief. You stand fast through faith. R- reminding us, it's not by ethnic privilege or ethnic superiority, that anyone gets included in the blessing of God. There is no place for racial or ethnic superiority by the people of God. They only get included by faith. The issue is not how they were born, where they grew up, what church they went to, any of that. The issue is, do they believe in Jesus through their faith? There are not two rules. Rule for the Jews. Rule for the Gentiles. Rule for the Old Testament. Rule for the New Testament. There is one. You stand fast by faith. They were broken off Because of lack of faith. It is about faith. So, let me remind you again, don't become proud. Right? And He gives a warning. He gives the same warning that Jesus gives in John chapter 15. He says, "Abide in I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in Me. Remain in Me. Work to stay in Me. You don't get life from yourself by your work. You... Draw life from the vine. That's what you're trying to do. I'm trying to get more life from the vine by any effort I put forth. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He won't spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who fall and kindness toward you. Provided you remain. Okay, That's the same word that Jesus used in John 15. Remain in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. There is a warning against uh, pride. There was a warning against 
self-sufficiency. There is a warning um, that ultimately I am only in because God by His grace has included me. And if I think it's something else, if my eyes become dark and blind, my ears deaf, my back hard, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief. Now this is one of the this is one of the changes that we didn't expect here, right? Because everyone grumbles, you know, God hardened, blah blah blah. God, you know, God made their eyes dark. Okay. Not permanent necessarily. What if they don't continue in their unbelief? Did it ever occur to you that even that hardening may not be permanent? That their repentance might get them grafted back in? God has the power to do that. That's not too hard for Him. We said if their inclusion means life from the dead, there's that dead branch on the ground. Maybe it's been sitting there a week. Maybe it's been sitting there a season. God has the power to take that dead old branch and graft it back in and give it life. Life from the dead. For if you were cut off from a wild olive tree and grafted in against nature to this cultivated olive branch, how much more will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive branch? So now you see this, this olive tree, right? Rooted in the promises of God and the patriarchs, growing this people of God that has the remnant. And then it has a few wild olive branches stuck in there. And now the olive tree is becoming complete as natural branches are placed back in. And so there is now this magnificent olive tree representing the the fullness of the promise of God that comes from His initial promise grows up with a remnant. So that promise remains alive and faithful. It goes to the Gentiles. They're grafted in. It goes back to the people of Israel. They are are grafted back in. And the promise of God is good. And the people of God, complete and healthy. You see, that's that's the picture here. And One of the things that we have to settle is that God saves people in all kinds of ways. Most of us would absolutize the way that we came to faith in Christ and say, everyone has to do it like I did it. It was so good for me. Everyone has to do it like I did it. Everyone has to have faith in Christ. But some of them might walk an aisle. Some of them might read their Bible in silence. Some might have a friend share Jesus with them. I've I've heard of people have, you know, drug overdoses and come to faith in Christ or traffic accidents. I'm not going to recommend any of those. They don't recommend them either. But you see, we we absolutely that. And what we find is that just as mysterious and circuitous and unusual as this salvation that God brings, as just as mysterious as that is, it is equally as sure. So that God makes certain that everyone 
that he aims to include gets included. And they are grafted back in the old olive tree. Now, I'm going to give you just one other picture of this uh, at the end here. And it's the prodigal son. You have a father. You have a father who has two boys. One of them asks for his part of the inheritance and he goes to squander it. How does that make the father feel? Not so good. He has another boy who stays all self-righteous and smug. All certain that he's the father's favorite. Not concerned in the least with what the father wants or desires or loves. So you've got a a child far away and you've got a child at home. And neither one are connected to the Father. But the glory of the story of the prodigal son is that at least the one comes back. We're not really told the other one humbles himself and comes back into relationship with the Father. You see, that's really what is happening in in the prodigal son is that both this far away son and this close by son The Father wants them both and invites them both into this beautiful relationship in their home. And what we have here is Paul explaining on bigger, broader terms how that happens with ethnic ethnic groups uh, descended from uh, Jacob and those who are Gentiles and how God builds His people of God uh, and the Father then or the um, olive farmer then is finally happy with His olive tree. The Father is finally glad His sons belong to Him again. That I think is the heart of God expressed in Romans chapter 11, that God might include Jews and Gentiles into His promise so that they might be new covenant believers whose sins are forgiven and who are reconciled to their Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is my hope and prayer that everyone who hears this and others as well, but everyone who hears this will not be proud, but will humble themselves in return to the Father. Father, if they're the prodigal, if they're they're the older, self-righteous son, God, would, would they be humbled as well, glad for the happiness of the Father and return to relationship. Father, for those of us who have been Grafted in, we rejoice. Father, if, any of, if anyone here pictures themselves as those even laying on the ground, may they have confidence that You are able to graft them in. And would You grant them faith to believe Your promise. And not only that, but to believe Your love that You love them and will graft them in when they trust You. And so God, I pray You would do that 
for every person here. May you make us confident in your promises, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.